0: I just want to have, like, an open dialogue, right? I an open dialogue. You don't want to talk politics? Well, your silence is deafening and that's ignorant, and you better talk about it. But if you disagree with me, you're an idiot, too. So... losing battle, let's do this! Yeah, thanks for coming over. Fing- why not do finging guns? Speaking of guns, uh, right to bear arms. Yeah, I agree, no. You got the guns? Car night with the boys? Take that! Three of a kind! Another three of a kind? Let's talk about taxes, vaxes, and masks. Are they good? Bad? What are- sit back down. Sit back down. I'll stand. I need to stretch the lights anyway. I'll stand. (laughs) Which reminds me, will you during the anthem? Or will you kneel? You guys standers or kneelers? Huh? Well, how about I start a whole discussion where the only way I don't get really mad is if you completely agree with me. What are your opinions? A lot of people are saying what's wrong with this country is too many men in power. Just like you. Just because you're a man in power over me doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Okay, tell mom hi. Bye dad. Oh man. We all know somebody, right? <laughs> uh, we will wrap up that, <laughs> that video with, with the end of the series next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're in part two of the series called Church and State. And I know for many of you, uh, just hearing the title of the series, especially if you maybe weren't here last week, might make you a little bit uncomfortable. And I get it. <laughs> That's OK. It's OK to be uncomfortable. Can I tell you a little secret? we're pretty uncomfortable too. Like, I just gotta be real with you about that. But it might not be for the reason that you're thinking. Because see, we're not really all that uncomfortable with the fact that it's awkward to talk about politics. I to tell you the truth, we have a pretty long and proud history of just embracing the awkward around here, <laughs> so you should know that up front. What we're uncomfortable with is the, the level of anger and division that we see in our, in our country and in our world right now, especially among Christians. Why? Why does that make us so uncomfortable? It's because, guys, we don't think that's what Jesus has for us. It's not his best. In fact, on his last night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed to his Father for one thing. He prayed for unity for his followers. Let's check this out. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Guys, if it was important enough to Jesus that this is what he wanted to talk to his father about right before he was killed, I think it better be important to us too. And we better take seriously our responsibility to not allow our political disagreements, or anything for that matter, to divide his church. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to ask ourselves a difficult question, especially right now. It's one Brian posed to us last week, and we're going to continue through the series. Are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Because here's the danger when we get those two mixed up. When you begin to view everything through your political filter first, including the life and the words of Jesus, it's amazing how we see what we want to see in the Bible, right? Have you ever seen somebody do this? Like, the Republicans are absolutely convinced that if Jesus were here today, he would be a Republican because of the values platform, right? And the Democrats are absolutely convinced that a guy who cares so much for the poor and the marginalized would definitely be a Democrat, right? Isn't that crazy? It's amazing how much Jesus agrees with us (laughs) when we're looking at everything through our political filter first. But here's the thing about Jesus. In the words of Pastor Tony Evans, Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And he's absolutely right about that, guys. Jesus didn't come to reinforce or reorganize the kingdoms of this world. He came to replace them with an entirely new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And as followers of Jesus, that means our allegiance is now first and foremost to his kingdom. And guys, his kingdom is so countercultural to the ways of this world, that there's, there's just no political party or candidate that's ever going to line up perfectly with our kingdom values, which means there's always going to be disagreement among Christ followers about politics. There is. But Brian challenged us last week to not let politics divide us from the person beside us. And today I want to extend that challenge a little bit further by asking us to get really intentional about putting people first and our politics second. In fact, I think that probably should be a mantra for us over the next few weeks, right? Can you guys say that with me? If you're online, say it with us as well. People first, politics second. That's a big idea I want you to remember today, okay? And what we want to do today is give you guys a template to work from to help us all understand where agreement ends and diverse opinions, especially our political opinions, end or begins. And the starting point for this template I want to talk about is going to be a phrase that we see the Apostle Paul use a lot in his letter to the early Christians. He, he uses this phrase uh, to kind of describe the guiding principle that as citizens of, kingdom, of the kingdom of God, we should use to, to make decisions about our life. The phrase is the law of Christ. Now, Paul uses this phrase, the law of Christ, in his letters to the early church over and over again, and it's his kind of shorthand way of describing the new way of being in the world that Jesus laid out for his followers. Because for their entire history up to that point, the people of God had lived by the Torah. It's a, it's a set of like 613 rules and laws that they all followed and following those rules set them apart as the people of God. But when Jesus came with his death and resurrection, he ushered in a new covenant and with it a new law. Check this out. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus is saying that it's now our number one job to love each other the way that he loved us. He's asking us to learn from him how to live and love like him, and he promises that when we do that and we commit ourselves to that kind of life, the world will see him so Paul repeatedly uses this phrase, the law of Christ, as a quick way to remind the early Jesus followers of this command to love each other the way Christ loved them. I want to show you just a couple of examples of where this shows up. Uh, in, in one of the letters to the, the church in Corinth, he says, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that, that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. What Paul's saying here is, I'm no longer under the law of Moses. I'm no longer under the Torah, but I'm still under God's authority because I'm under the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love each other the way he loved us. So then we see this again uh, in his letter to the Galatians where he says, Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. When you see somebody who's burdened financially, or burdened with their kids, or with a physical ailment, or with their work life, if you see somebody who's getting tripped up in life, share each other's burdens. Or we could say it this way, when the concerns of others concern us enough that we act on it, in that way we fulfill the law of Christ. And as we, we grow as Christians, the law, and we live by this law of Christ, it begins to inform and shape our conscience. And that's the second part of this template paying attention to our conscience. Because if we're, if we're living our life by the law of Christ, something's gonna start to tweak in us when we do something that's contrary to that law, right? And that doesn't just happen personally, it also happens to us collectively. We have this collective conscience where those of us who are followers of Christ as a family of faith, um, we, should, we all find ourselves like frustrated or convicted or disturbed by certain things because we're all striving to live under this law, to love like Jesus did. And what's amazing about the history of Christians is that as the collective conscience of Christ followers is shaped by the law of Christ, it's been a powerful agent for change in the whole world. I wanna give you just a couple of examples of how we see this play out in history. And the first is slavery. If we look back in history, uh, there was a time where It was like an unquestioned, self-evident belief everywhere in the world that certain people should belong to and be controlled by other people. Like, it wasn't a moral issue for anybody at all. It wasn't questioned at all, it was just the way the world worked. So much so, that in the fourth century, the philosopher Aristotle said, for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. No one even questioned slavery in his day. That wasn't revolutionary. That is until Christians showed up and began having misgivings. And they began to see the discrepancy between slavery and what they were reading in scripture about people being made in the image of God and how we're to love each other like he loved us. And those early Christians, including people like Saint Augustine, they began declaring that slavery just wasn't just a fact of life, it was a result of sin. And over time, as this began to to work into the hearts of Christians and and bother them, and they changed the way they lived and interact, it changed the collective conscience of the whole world to the point where today, although we know that slavery still exists in some places, most of us are completely horrified by the idea of that. Now, another example of this is what uh, was known as exposure. We would call it today infanticide. See, in the Roman Empire, it was uh, an accepted and at times, like, even required practice that you could abandon a baby somewhere outside the village and just let nature take its course. This could happen for all sorts of reasons. Like, uh, maybe you had too many kids already and you just couldn't support another one. Or you had a girl when you wanted a boy. Or maybe there was a birth defect or you suspected that the husband wasn't really the father, you would just take this child out to the edges of the village, and you would leave them and, and let fate decide. For, for any reason, you didn't want the child. You, and, and the laws wouldn't make you responsible for this death, because technically, it was fate that decided whether they lived or died, not you. Now, I know if you're a parent and your kid has completely lost it in the grocery store, you've been tempted, in the back of your mind, we all have, to just walk away. <laughs> But we don't do it, right? <laughs> because it's an unconscionable thing to us today that someone would just abandon their child. <laughs> but from the very beginning, from the very beginning of this, Christians looked at this practice and they were just horrified by it. And so they would go out to these places where babies were commonly left to die, places like, like the edge of the forest or a river bank, and they would collect these kids and they would bring them home and they would love them and raise them as their own. Now, nothing in the laws of their time compelled anyone to do this. In fact, the laws protected those who left their kids. But Christians were compelled by a different law. They were living by the law of Christ, and that required them to love. And as Christians began living differently and inviting others to join them in this new way of living, the world and eventually the laws of the world changed. Now, those early Christians, I think, are what we might call in Meadow Heights lingo an unstoppable force of God's love and it changed their world but it also changed the world we live in today they lived this radical culture defining commitment to just love each other the way that Jesus loved them and it changed the world maybe maybe not on our timetable but it it changed the world and this is why unity is so important in the church guys because as we as disciples of Jesus commit ourselves to living and loving like Jesus It has a ripple effect through the whole culture. It changes things. We've seen this over and over again in history. Now, where we go wrong is when we think it's our job to to come in and take over the political landscape of the world and try to control the rules. Because if that's our only goal, what are we really accomplishing? Maybe for a period of time, for one election cycle, we control the the rules that are made, but does it change people's hearts in a way that changes history? Things could change all over again at the next election cycle. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't participate in politics. I deeply believe that we should pray and inform ourselves and vote. Some of us may even need to hold political office. I know there are Heitzers that do, and that's a calling in their lives. But at the end of the day, guys, our hope is not in the kingdom of, of this world. What changes the world is when we recognize that we are first citizens of the kingdom of God. And we're subject to his law and his politic. And that law compels us to love our neighbor, all of them the poor neighbor, the marginalized neighbor, the neighbor who's experienced injustice, the one we just don't get along with. And as we act on that love in radical, countercultural ways, and we invite other people to join us in this kingdom of love, that's what changes the world. So I want to go back to our template. So we start with the law of Christ. And that informs and shapes our conscience. And to that informed conscience, we want to add the third part of the template. And that's knowledge and wisdom. Because one of the gifts of us getting to live in this day and age is that we get to benefit from all the knowledge and wisdom of the generations before us. It's great. We can know things at, in no time just by picking up our phone and Googling them. It's amazing what we have access to in terms of knowledge and wisdom these days. So as people of the 21st century, as we think about what it looks like to live out our kingdom ethic, we should add to our conscience the things that we know about science and psychology, the wisdom that comes with just understanding how the world works or how our bodies were designed to to work and were made. An example of how this works in in our lives is that when um, one of your kids gets sick, you don't call me first, you call their doctor, right? (laughs) For good reason. But there was a time in the history of the world where you would call the priest when your kid was sick. But now you you don't call the priest anymore, you call the doctor. And it's not because you don't believe in the power of God. A lot of times you'll call us, you'll ask us to pray, and that's a good thing. But you call the doctor because we've accumulated the shared understanding of how the human body works, and the doctor is the one (laughs) that knows how to deal with those situations. So I want to go back to the template one more time. The law of Christ... If you're a Jesus follower, that's a non-negotiable for all of us. That's our starting point. But over time, as we live this law of Christ and we learn more and we follow Jesus longer, our conscience begins to be shaped by that. So we add to the law of Christ, our informed conscience that's shaped by God. And then to that informed conscience, we combine knowledge and wisdom. And this is what we should leverage when we decide which politicians and platforms and legislation we want to support. Because again, we're kingdom people first, who participate in this political process second. So even if we take all this to heart, say we go home and we, we, we search ourselves and we work through this process, and we all follow this to be able to inform our political opinions, here's the truth, guys. There's always going to be disagreement among Christians when it comes to politics. And we're always going to have to work really hard for unity and understanding and love in the family. And there's a big reason why this is true, and it's this. It's a concept that's known as the Miles Law, which says, where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. And here's what this means. It means that my cultural context determines my perspective in life. And my cultural context, that's where I sit. It's where I live, what family I'm in, how much money I have access to, maybe how I was educated. All those things influence what I see and experience in life and how I interpret the world around me, which influences what I take a stand on. Now, this is true for all of us. It is. Where we stand depends on where we sit. This means that our political views and values, just like all our views and values, are shaped by a whole variety of factors, many of which we had no control over. And if we can acknowledge this, and we can begin to see that other people had different sets of experiences that shape the way they see the world, we can begin to learn something. And we can find unity together. What if we did that? What if in the middle of this heated election cycle, we were able to step back and begin to just view it a little bit differently? Not to necessarily change what you believe or even who you vote for but just to recognize that this is a dynamic that is at play for every one of us. That where you stand depends on where you sit. And by acknowledging this, what if we could begin to open our hearts and our minds to, to just see each other and to understand each other and love each other the way Christ loves us without necessarily changing our political viewpoint. I want to give you three challenges today that I think will help us continue to move toward unity in this, in this difficult time that we're in. And the first is this, I'm gonna sound like a total broken record because I talked about this a few weeks ago as well, but I want you to listen, just listen to people. I want you to take some time to really engage and listen to people who don't see things the way that you do. Now, I want you to notice something really important here. I did not ask you to debate them. So just like switch that off from the beginning. I'm asking you to listen. And once you begin listening, I want you to keep the next step in mind, and that's that I want you to learn something. I don't want you to just listen so you can check the box and say, Leslie, I tried it. I still think they're dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I want you to listen with your heart intent on actually learning something about someone else's perspective, because they saw and experienced different things than you did in the world. And if we can take a posture of a student and not a critic, then we can begin to listen to each other and learn from each other. Because when we don't, we discount anything that comes our way that doesn't fit perfectly within our little worldview. And if the Miles Law is at play, then our worldview is potentially pretty incomplete without these perspectives of other people. When we do this, when we just discount things, because it doesn't look the way at the world the way we look at the world, we quit learning and we quit growing. And that is not God's best for us. Because I want you to remember, guys, like, everybody's behavior and beliefs make perfect sense to them, don't they? Like, everything you believe makes perfect sense to you. If you're a Democrat in here, you don't have to identify yourselves. Um, I just want you to know that your Republican brothers and sisters, they're not crazy. They're not. And if you're a Republican, you need to know that your Democrat friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters, they haven't lost their minds. Nobody's crazy here. I mean, there's always like the one relative at Thanksgiving. But outside of that, (laughs) our behavior and beliefs (laughs) make perfect sense to all of us. Whether we're Democrats or Republicans or everything in between, we all have in common that we're all taking a stand based on where we sit and what we see. So let's take the time to listen to each other and actually learn from one another's perspective. And the last thing is this. It's the thing you hear us talking about every week here. Love, love each other. Please guys, we're so at risk of this right now, but please, 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 never burn a relational bridge over a political opinion. This is so easy to do, I get it. You may not have been the one that started the fire, but you don't have to set fire to your end of the bridge, right? Jeremiah used uh, this verse a few weeks back in his message on conflict, and it stuck with me through this whole season, so I just want to read it again. Paul says in Romans, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't burn a bridge over a political viewpoint. Because let's face it, guys, our political opinions may change. Like, I don't hold exactly the political opinions I held when I voted for the first time when I was 19. Definitely. I'm sure many of you are in the same boat, which means we might not hold the same political views in 10 or 15 or 20 years that we hold today. But you know what doesn't change? The fact that every single human being that you encounter is made in the image of God. And Jesus, the king of this kingdom that we've all pledged our allegiance to, he's so wildly in love with them that he laid down his life to ransom theirs. And if he loved them so much that he was willing to die for them, the least we can do as his followers is to listen to them and learn from them and attempt to love them the way that he loves us. I get it. You may be sitting there and looking at us and thinking we're just a bunch of naive dreamers sitting up here every week clanging the drum of peace and love and unity (laughs) when the rest of your week and your social media feeds may have felt like a total dumpster fire and all your family and friends, and even the Christians you know, are just at each other's throats over this election. Let me remind you of this, guys. Once upon a time, there was a Jewish carpenter in Nazareth, and he took a group, a ragtag group of 12 teenagers, and he showed them what it could look like to make love the prevailing law of their lives, and it absolutely changed the world forever. Jesus' death and resurrection ushered in a new kingdom. And in the last 2,000 years, empires have risen and fallen, and politicians and platforms and legislation have come and gone. But Jesus promised that he would build his church and nothing would be able to stop it. And he did. The kingdom of God has prevailed through all of it, and it is still the way forward. And we get to be in on it. So it's our responsibility, in a season like this, to show a battered and divided world what it could look like, to love each other unconditionally, and to pray for unity, and to keep loving even when we disagree politically. This is why the local church matters. It's why this church matters, guys. Because we care deeply that Jesus and his kingdom are represented in all the goodness and truth and beauty that God deserves. Right here in our own communities with our family and our friends. As we read in the Gospel of John earlier, when they see our love for each other, especially in these turbulent times full of disagreement, they're going to see the heart of Jesus. That's what's at stake, you guys, in this season, over the next few weeks. And it's the sacred opportunity that's before us as we go out today. That we get to be the image bearers of the King. And we get to point people to his love and his grace by the way we interact with each other, even when we disagree. In the kingdom of God, guys, it absolutely must be people first and politics second. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that our hope is in you. And not who's in power at the moment. (laughs) I want to thank you that through a relationship with you, we don't have to know all the things or get it right all the time, but that we can simply draw close to you and you will teach us. You'll teach us how to love the way you loved us. And then we get to extend that to the world around us. God, I pray that this week we would look for opportunities to love people who don't see the world the way we do. To look for opportunities to learn from them and more than anything that we would just be the kind of people that love so radically in an age of hatred and disagreement that the world can't help but ask where that hope comes from. We love you, Jesus. Give us the courage and the strength and the unity to be a force of love in our world and our community this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. We're going to wrap this series up next week. Please don't miss it. Get out there and put people first and politics second this week. We'll see you next week.